Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast. So glad you found us. Hey, if you haven't been here before, this is a place where I sit down with leaders, innovators, the doers, those that are in the sustainable fashion, sustainable brands, B Corp, better business space. These are people who are doing business differently. Uh, they are Their attention is just as much on people and the planet as it is on profit. We like to call that the triple bottom line approach, and if that resonates with you, then you're in the right spot. These are longer form interviews where I try to extract career advice, professional journeys, educational paths, and the work that my guests are doing present day. So this is a really exciting space because there are so many um, cool things that are happening, and my aim here on this podcast, on this show, is for you to one, learn, two, be inspired, and three, sometimes be surprised. And I say surprised because a lot of times we bring to light things that people are doing behind the scenes and brands that you may not even um, know operated in that manner. I think maybe today's guest will check all of those boxes. Big Tony Alvarez is a big personality who's been in the surf and apparel business for about 30 years now. His career has flowed through rubbing elbows and looking out for the world's best surfers to working with some of the leading brands and personalities in the surf and lifestyle apparel space. Big Tony is the Vice President of Global Compliance and Supply Chain at the brand Volcom, and his job, in a nutshell, is to, as he likes to say, protect the stone. Big Tony has been instrumental in building the social responsibility and compliance program there at Volcom. Um, His department makes sure that Vulcan products are free of hazardous chemicals and that the factories that they are manufacturing their clothes and products in, that they are abiding by their published code of conduct. And this team's hard work actually paid off in 2018 when you may have seen it in the news. Vulcan's supply chain was accredited by the Fair Labor Association, and that is no small feat. He'll talk a little bit about that. Um, in addition to that, though, the brand Volcom recently launched a unique and inspiring organic cotton social impact program in India. They called it Farm to Yarn, and we touched on that and much, much more in this interview. Big Tony's long career and dedication to looking out for the Volcom family, which he says includes everyone that is working on the product all over the world, is so um, it's so apparent here. There's lots of advice, lots of inspiration. Lots of examples of what you should be doing in business and uh, and plenty more. So I hope you appreciate this episode as much as I enjoyed recording it. Um, after you listen to this, be sure to check out all the great sustainability and responsible manufacturing initiatives at Volcom. Um, I've been able to help them out with those for a long time and it was a great honor to be a part of that long journey there. So you can learn more about their commitments at volcom.com forward slash sustainability. But for now, sit back, tune in, and vibe out on the tip of the iceberg that I have uncovered here in regards to the career and responsibilities of a colleague and, I'm lucky to say, a friend, Big Tony Alvarez. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Underswell Podcast News, stories, brand insights, product reviews, all to help you navigate the complexities of sustainability in your modern lifestyle. As I like to say, business can be done better, and in some cases it is. I'm Derek Sabori, I'm your host, and hey, 
it's just sustainability. Let's dive in to today's episode. All right. Big Tony. Big Tony, welcome to the show, buddy. Thanks for having me, D. Jeez, we've worked together for a long time, and we have talked about doing this, having you on the show, so I'm really excited to be finally sitting down and uh, having a chat with you. Likewise, likewise. You ready? You ready? Yeah, let's do this. Um, Big Tony, actually, well, what's funny, Big Tony, you are known by as Big Tony. Business cards say Big Tony. Email is Big Tony. LinkedIn is Big Tony. But I know you because we've traveled together, and I've seen your passport. I also know you as Anthony Scott Alvarez. But not many people do, right? No, that's it's a super secret undercover. That's <laughs> my that's my undercover over alias. Uh, uh, that's uh, got a lot of got a lot of hidden uh, hidden things in those names. Not anymore, buddy. Not with the millions of <laughs> listeners we have on the Underswell Podcast Radio Show. Thank you for being here. Hey, um, but Big T, how'd you get your nickname? How'd you get how'd you how'd you become Big Tony? Aside from the obvious, how'd you how'd you become Big Tony? You know, I think it was just more of along the lines of. I had other friends that were named Tony, um, and I think that a lot of people kind of referred to me as, you know, oh, not Tony, but Big Tony. <laughs> um, you know, I just had a tendency to take care of a lot of people over the years, and I think they kind of did it as more of a term of endearment than than anything. Yeah. And it just kind of stuck, and then one day it was, I actually remember specifically one day I was calling in to uh, speak with somebody, and they were like, Tony who? And I go, just tell him it's Big Tony, and they'll know. And it's just been that way ever since. So When I remember for a while, we had another Tony here, and he was Little Tony. Yeah, right? exactly. We had a Little Tony and Big Tony here. <laughs> Shout out to Little Tony. What's every, up, Little every company I've worked for, it seems like there's been a Tony or two or three. So it just kind of kind of worked, and it's just kind of stuck in the industry. And, you know, from the security side, too, is part of that. So Yeah. Well, right on. Well, Big Tony, you are Volcom's. Vice President of Global Sustainability. Glo- Sorry, that's me. That was me. You're the Vice President of Global Supply Chain and Compliance, right? Yeah. What does that entail? What are your What are your roles and responsibilities? What does that title even mean? Give us some insight into that. Well, you know, titles are titles. I mean, it's you know they don't they don't really exude what a person truly is or what they do. But but uh, I, from my side, uh, it means that I oversee and my team oversees our our global supply chain. Uh, and all of our chemical management and our corporate social responsibility um, uh, work hand-in-hand hand with other teams as well. And so we collectively uh, oversee those things together. But uh, my team vets out the, the supply chain, make sure that they uh, meet all of the Volcom standards. Uh, they're adhering to our, our codes of conduct and, uh, and are creating our products uh, for our customers in a safe and um, uh uh, in a safe way that's that's uh, exudes um, uh, health and safety uh, as well as fair working conditions uh, for our supply chain and our workforce. What an awesome thing, though. I mean, I know that's something you're really proud of, and it's a it's a title and a role that you're passionate about and that you take really seriously. But um, I know it's been a winding path, right? You didn't. This wasn't always your career path. Where did you? I mean, if we take it way back, where did you originally see your career path landing? Maybe like kind of going into college and from there, what were you, what were you thinking? Well, in college, I was actually, I was a criminal justice major with an emphasis on corrections. Uh, I wanted to work in the prison system, believe it or not. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> they put me in the asylum and let me work with them. Um, I, uh, I wanted to be a warden at one point in my, uh, in my life and uh, was very passionate about it. That's what I wanted to do. Really? And then one day I just kind of had this, this 
kind of, a, I don't know if you call it epiphany or whatever, whatever it was, but I just kind of decided, you know, this isn't what I want to do for the long term. This is, this is something that probably won't, uh, go well in, in, in the long term with a family and, you know, just life in general, who knows. And so, uh, I just gave it up and I, uh, was kind of, kind of figuring out what I wanted to do and where I wanted to go. And then there was an opportunity given to me to go on the pro surfing tour, uh, and go to work for the Bud Surf Tour. And I went on the Bud Surf Tour um, as uh, night security and water patrol. And at that point, I, uh, I stayed on tour for six years, worked my way up, became the head of security and the beach marshal. And then I ended up going from the Bud Surf Tour to the ASP, and I worked on the ASP for, for several years. And uh, then from there, uh, my daughter was born. And I transitioned off of the road and, and went to work for the original Billabong at that time. Okay, so hang on. I want to I rewind it just a bit because for maybe listeners that don't know, the ASP and the Pro Surfing Tour, that was the Association of Surfing Professionals way back when. Correct. How, though, did you, how did you even get that call to get into that into that mix? I mean, that's not just a call that anybody gets to say, hey, come work security for the, the Pro Surfing Tour. Well, I mean, we had been doing water patrol you know, back in the day in Hawaii and and uh, and here as well. And uh, Rock and Fig actually Rock and uh, Fig. got got a hold of me and was like, "Hey, you know, we want you to come work on the tour." And from there, it just kind of is like, you know, you want to do it? And I'm like, "Yeah." And I was at the time I I was I was back in Hawaii and and I was uh, I came back over here and. It was just a good opportunity, and so I, I ended up clearing um, that first contest was Malibu, and Malibu was like eight feet, legit eight feet, and I cleared it as a you know as a kneeboarder, paddled out, and just basically cleared the point, and um, just by yourself, by myself, which was actually pretty funny, and, and Malibu of all places, right? Yeah. Hawaii, it's different for us, you know, but but Malibu was totally different. So, and it, it was great because during the course of that event, I actually um, surfed with Red Brown who was the enforcer from Big Wednesday, oh, and man. he was a Malibu guy. And, and we ended up surfing together a lot during that event. And uh, But that set the precedent for uh, for the next event, which was Lower Trestles. And then I ended up uh, uh, clearing the water for Lower Trestles as well as doing all the security for the event site. And that's kind of how it went for that first, uh, first couple of years. And then after that, permits were starting to be issued for the water. Uh, by the state and for the lifeguards and counties and whatnot. And so the lifeguards could then clear the contest sites. Mm. So they didn't need water patrol over here anymore, per se. And so then um, I had an opportunity to step up and actually become the beach marshal and then still oversee the night security and and the security of the actual venue. And so uh, that was what my career basically entailed for the rest of of the time on tour. Um, How long did you do that for? uh, I was on the tour for six years. And then my last year of the tour, I actually went to work for Billabong, um, and uh, I actually uh, called Bob Hurley and, and, and Paul Gomez, and they got me in, and I started in the warehouse, <laughs> 5 50 an hour. Buddy. Packing boxes, <laughs> shipping boxes. Packing boxes and pulling orders, man. Awesome. Uh, and that's how, uh, that's how it started in the manufacturing side because, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't be on the road any longer with having a, uh, with having a child. So. Mm. And so from Bill, how long were you Bill Bong? So kind of then walk us through. So now you're into the, into the apparel space, the apparel industry, and you're, you're intrigued and interested. And what is your, what does your path look like from there? Well, at the time, I mean, I was working four jobs. I was still on the tour. I was, uh, I was working at Billabong when I wasn't on the tour. They were allowing me to finish up that last year on the tour, which was really cool of them. Um, I was sanding and polishing surfboards, you know, on the weekends and I was bouncing at night, uh, as a doorman in Long Beach, 
Um, and so I was working, I was doing a lot of stuff, but then eventually uh, the tour ended and I got an opportunity um, with my very first mentor actually, which was Mark Machado. Uh, Mark Machado was one of the, uh, the two people that, that really invented the zipperless wetsuit. Mm. And during that time period, I became his assistant and he gave me an opportunity to learn the business for accessories and wetsuits. Um, they, his partner and he, uh, who designed the suit, actually won an IDSA award, a bronze award, I believe, that year for releasing the zipperless wetsuit for Billabong, um, which has then morphed into all sorts of different types of zipperless wetsuits that we see in the industry today. Yeah. So. And he's still he's still at it, designing some great product and and. Uh, he's yeah, he's he's, it, huh? he's had a great career. Um, you know, I became his production manager eventually, and then when the split happened between uh, Bob Hurley and uh, Billabong, uh, Australia. Uh, Bob decided to go ahead and start Hurley, yeah. and I stayed on with Hurley, and Mark went to the uh, the new Billabong, uh, which we we know as Billabong today. So, so when does Volcom come into uh, into the picture? Volcom came into the picture actually before that. Volcom came into the picture back when I was still on tour. Um, my uh, my original interaction with Volcom was actually in 1993 doing their security, and uh, I would <laughs> I was I was asked to put together some guys and, and, you know, basically do a movie premiere. Okay. And I, I think it was a lie we ride. If I remember correctly, I could be wrong. It might've been the garden, but I think it was a lie we ride. And, uh, you know, we just kind of been, you know, doing the security for other brands in the industry and things like that. And, 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 you know, just, it just kind of morphed into that. That was my yeah. first interaction with Volcom. Troy Ecker called me, of course, day of, you know, we're having a big party and, yeah, you, you know, we need your help, you know, help us, you know, and so and that's how most of the events went that back then. And then in, uh, in 2001, um, I left uh, Rusty and Sanook and I, uh, John Fernley brought me over to Volcom okay. as a production manager for accessories. So what, what I'm seeing too, what I really like is um, how, because I'm going to ask you next, like how you transition then into, I think what you, you know, now your role as a leader in the social, regulatory, compliance space. But I, w- I want to know a couple things because I relate it to your security past too. It's like you've become sort of, you're a protector, you know, even when I got to travel with you, you know, you always feel like you can count on Big Tony. He's always there. He's got his eye on the whole team and you're, you're looking out for everybody. So now as you're looking out for the brand, right, you're looking out for, um, make sure we're following the rules, doing things better, looking out for the people behind the scenes. But what was that spark though? Because you, how long was it in your role before you really decided that, hey, this is a path I want to go down and I want to be part of this, you know, movement to be a more socially um, impactful or, um, you know, more compliant brand? Well, I think there's a term that a lot of people use these days called sheepdogs. And I'm, I'm, I'm kind of one of those people. I, I have always been that people, like a protector, basically. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I've always been that kind of person. And I've, even when I, you know, at some point in time in my life, I you know, wasn't the nicest person out there. I, uh, I, I still watched out for those that were close to me. And I still didn't like to see people taken advantage of. Um, and that's that's continued to be a part of who I am as I've grown older as a person. And then also through my both of my careers, one as a as a security business owner, but also as a um, as an employee um, and working in this industry. Uh, I think that that my role has morphed organically into what it is. Um, for sheer need, for sheer need as an industry, 
um, for need as a brand like Volcom um, and for the need for doing the right thing. I think that uh, that because it's in my nature, I, t- I, I take it very seriously. I, I care about our supply chain. I care about our workforce. They're a direct reflection of the brand, what they uh, endure and and uh, and go through are are partly partly due to us, not necessarily all to us, because there's other brands that are in those factories and and being produced by them. But still, we should be the ones that that take the lead and set the example for those other brands to do the right thing as well. And so that's something that I've always kind of you know I've always kind of done. And so uh, so it just makes it just makes sense for me to kind of lead that charge. I've also had good mentors in this regard too. I mean, you being one of them, you know, teaching me the the environmental side of sustainability. Um, I've had others teaching me the the, the responsible side of, of manufacturing and sustainability. Um, so it's 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 definitely a part of part of who I am now and where my career is going and and what uh, and what the brand is in general. Well, it's awesome, and thank you. I'm I'm happy to be considered a mentor, and I'm pr- I'm proud of that. So, thank you. That's a what a good nod. My environmental guru, as I call you. <laughs> was there? I know for me though, I had a you know I had a, I had a spark. I remember that moment when I just was, you know, I was doing merchandising and design. I was on the product side, and I just had this moment where I'm like, you know what? That's where I want my career to go. Like I knew. Was there a defining moment, or is for you? Has it just always sort of been? You just kind of washed, you know, washed up the shore that way. No, I mean, you, they, I take that back. Yes, there was a there was a defining moment. We had a come to Jesus moment actually uh, as a brand. Myself and and another uh, person here, Diana Braden, who I work with on a day to day basis. She's our global vice president for production and uh, technical fit or technical design. Excuse me. Um, we had in two thousand eight. We had a uh, an opportunity to to attend a conference up in San Francisco regarding uh, chemical management and uh, Proposition sixty five. And we came back from that uh, that conference, basically jaws dragging on the ground, going, "Wow, this is something that we need to get our hands around right away." Um, it's something that's affecting the apparel industry that most brands um, or companies in the apparel industry of all facets of the apparel industry have no concept of, and uh, it's only a matter of time before this really starts to. To put an effect on us, so that was probably my defining moment from a chemical management standpoint. We came back. Um, I was able to actually uh, leave that conference, meeting a very, very, very insightful person named Quinn Dodd, who's an attorney and at the time too. He was working for the CPSC, the Consumer Product Safety Commission, on Capitol Hill. He was kind enough to uh, befriend me at the bar one night, and, and we talked over a over a cocktail. And I basically asked him, you know, how to how do we do this? You know, we have, this is completely foreign to us. We have no idea. And he said, let me break it down for you. And he wrote it on a cocktail napkin and he gave it to me. He goes, get to work. And that was it. And we've remained friends ever since. And I was fortunate enough to speak with him at, at the ICWASO conference in Washington, D.C. a couple of years ago on a panel with him, which was awesome. But we came back and, and actually implemented a program that really um, has become a, an industry leader today. It started in 2008. It expanded in 2010. It incorporated the the social responsibility uh, part of it in 2011. And now it's it's 
so robust and encompasses, you know, sustainability, responsibility, and chemical management all at the same time. Yeah, now there's a full full department, and maybe you can tell us a bit about how the department's structured, what you guys exactly do, what they're what the team's responsible for. Um, give us an explanation, and I want to know too, how does that compare? I mean, after you tell us that though, but is everybody does everybody every company have a, a department like this? So we we do have a we do have a full full department here um, that's that's come together over. Over the course of time, um, which is which is awesome. Uh, the fact that we've had uh, support and buy-in from our executive team down uh, has been amazing. Most brands don't have that, and yeah. uh, or or won't get it. Um, Volcom's been uh, one of those brands that really understands the importance of sustainability and responsibility. They have integrated integrated it into our business model. And it's something that we will continue to do business this way from here on out. Uh, and that's a great thing yeah. because that ensures that a program like ours will continue to grow and flourish and, and help others along, along the way. Um, the, our program is called PASS, which is, stands for Product and Social Safety. Um, it encompasses, like I said, uh, social responsibility and chemical management and sustainability as well. Uh, it is a team uh, that is very dedicated to what they do, and they've really become very, very good at what they do. Yeah. Um, we, uh, we have a team of, of five that work on it, and, uh, not including myself. Um, and, and really, what, what, what part of the team does is they, they manage the, the uh, amount of chemicals that are in our products, they are testing constantly uh, our products on a daily basis, all of our sampling, all of our finished production um, to ensure that the, the standards are being met um, for all components in our products before those goods are allowed to be released on the street, as I like to say, um, to ensure that they're safe for our consumers. Um, and maybe consumers don't always know that, I mean, but you're testing against a, a set of restricted chemicals and substances, and yep. you've got these fancy guns that you scan the products, and you're looking at every trim item, you know, everything that's on the garment, which is which is really cool, and nearly every garment gets that test, right? Absolutely. You know, mo- most most consumers don't understand that those those buttons and those zippers and the screen prints and, and uh, shanks and rivets and all these things contain uh, plasticizers and heavy metals that are harmful to, to humans. Uh, if they are above a certain limit, or can be harmful harmful to humans if they are above a certain limit and they're ingested, or they can leach through the skin. Yeah. So those limits are set by not only the state uh, regula- regulators, but also federal regulators as well. And we've created a, a standard that's global that that reaches across all um, areas of our business um, for all regions where we do business. And uh, we have what are called um, HD XRF x-ray fluorescence analyzers that allow us to be able to test all of the heavy metals that we have in all of our products. Also, we do extensive third-party testing on all of our products as well to test not only for those heavy metals, but also for plasticizers and other chemicals that are that are in our products to ensure that they're within those safe harbor limits. We are dedicated to providing the safest product possible for our customer, as well as our workforce to be involved with um, no matter what. So those analyzers are very expensive pieces of equipment that we have um, as part of our program, and they play an integral part of our program. Those those things are being used day in and day out. And I don't know another brand in our industry, the action sports, board sports, 
apparel industry that has this type of equipment. One, two, any other apparel brand that uses them as, as extensively as we do. We have a great partnership with uh, XOS who produces that product and we've been in partnership with them now for a little over five, six years. And uh, it's, been a, it's been a great addition to our program. They're called um, analyzers. Okay. Uh, I refer to them as weapons of compliance. Yeah, there we go. And, and it gets it done. WOCs? So, WOCs, exactly. And you're working with, the, I mean, there are third-party uh, third party organizations as well that you used, uh, used for testing and such, right? Absolutely. So we have our, our, our nominated uh, lab partner is SGS. We've been with SGS uh, since 2008, uh, if, not, if not longer. Um, they have been an amazing partner. Our relationship with them is is, is excellent. Yeah, um, and I, I like I can vouch for that. I mean, you've had them here to do talks and educational things, and they're part of your your informative series and your compliance summit. So yeah, I can I can vouch for that. They're yeah. a great partner for you. We also have uh, Bureau Veritas. Bureau Veritas handles all of our third party audits for all of our supply chain. So what we'll do is we'll determine if we're going to work in a, a specific factory. This is on or, the social responsibility on the social side. Social responsibility now, right? side. Yeah, absolutely. And if we're working in a specific factory or we're, we're planning on working in, in, a, in a specific factory, we then have the Volcom Audit and we have our own set of standards and our own codes of conduct based off of our Fair Labor Association uh, membership. Uh, and we will then send in our third-party auditing firm to go in and, and totally vet out the uh, the facility and make sure that they're meeting the uh, the standards that we have set forth for anybody that works within our supply chain. And then those standards meet the requirements of the Fair Labor Associ- um, Association and those international labor organization standards, right? So you guys are auditing and, and checking against the, the highest level of social standards um, for workers that there is, right? Uh, absolutely. What do you absolutely. think? What do you think customers don't know? I mean, we've kind of wrapped it up here, but for us insiders, that's like, yeah, that's of course, that's what you do, and you spend most of your time traveling across the world visiting all these factories, but. In a real quick little soundbite, what do you, what do customers, what should they know, and what do you want them to know about the, a program like this? Well, I think that, that most of them don't know that that brands like ours are doing things like this yeah. behind the scenes. I mean, chemical testing and and third party audits and ensuring that there's safe working conditions and uh, and non bonded labor and no slave labor and child labor and things like this. They you hear about this in in the news and stuff, but as a consumer, you really don't usually don't dive in and and get educated on it. And uh, and as a brand, these are things that we're very passionate about, and we're uh, we're doing on a, on a daily basis. Uh, I think that it's important for consumers and and an industry in general to understand that this is the way of doing business in the future, but not just in the future. This is now. Mm-hmm. We're doing this now, and we're not the only ones doing this, but we're probably one of the only ones in our sector that is as vocal about doing it. Um, we've had some some great mentors as brands, brands like Patagonia, brands like Nike. These brands have been involved in, in you know sustainable, responsible manufacturing for many, many years. Yeah. They're obviously brands that are bigger than us, but we've had some good role models in that sense. And we've made contacts with some of those, those brands like that that have also helped us along the way. So um, I definitely have to give... Uh, give respect to those brands that have that kind of showed us in the early days how you could do business. And then Volcom has been able to become the, one of those brands and actually do business that way. Yeah. So I think it's important for consumers to look at that and understand the products that they're buying and who, who, who is, where they're making it and how it's being made and what a brand is doing to ensure that everybody is safe, everybody is being treated fair. And it's not just a, a T-shirt that you go and buy, there's actually a story behind it. Yeah, that's yeah, exactly. And there's a long story, a long, deep, rich story. 
What would you say to maybe somebody who's in a brand that's listening right now and they're like, um, you know, what, what, actually, what advice or words of warning, I guess, I, I would ask, do you have for them in regards to social responsibility, compliance, and testing, and third-party audits? Maybe somebody who's not as far along as uh, this program isn't as mature, but if you had to kind of give some advice or words of warning to them, um, you said this is the now, you know. Well, I think first things first, if you want to stand up a program and you don't feel like you're being supported, I've said this in presentations that I've given before, the best thing to do is put together a plan, go to your executive team, and scare them into doing it. Yeah. Because this is a scary side of, of the business that a lot of consumers and just people don't, just don't see. Brand executives don't see it, or if they, they hear about it, but they, they want to put their heads in the sand, you know? Um, there's there's a lot of, uh, of uh, things that can happen out there. There's a lot of uh, expense involved, but Ultimately, what you have to do is you have to pick a stance and do something. There's plenty of seminars, there's plenty of webinars, there's plenty of literature out there. Um, you know, they can people can call me if they want to want some help in, in standing up a program, and, and we'll be more than happy to help them. We've helped other brands in our industry yeah. get started as well. But you have to pick something, you have to pick a stance, and you have to do something because if you don't start somewhere you're never going to start and executive buy-in makes it makes it easier um uh, building a resource or building a team and, and resources whether it's a, a two-man team whether it's a five-man team it doesn't matter but having support and having availability uh to resources that can that can get the job done is, is definitely something that's needed and a lot of brands don't have that and so for people who say well where do I go to learn? You know, how did, how did you become so well-versed in this space? Was it, was there training? Was, was there a certificate program? Or was it just like hands-on, year after year, you learn, you learn from your mentors and people by watching, by doing, and, and visiting these places? It's all of that. Yeah. You know, it's all of that. I mean, when I went back to school in 2010, I got my master's in supply chain management. It, that opened my eyes up to a whole another level of, of how we could do business. In 2008, when I got a cocktail napkin and I went to that seminar and, and or that conference and and basically got the 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 groundwork rules of building a chemical program, that was a start. And and at that point, I, we just kind of took it and how it it worked for Volcom, and we built it and continued to to let it grow and adapted and you know revised and did everything we needed to do every year in order to navigate through the hips and valleys of of this business the 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 compliance world is changing daily governments uh, are changing their their restrictions and their standards and so on states are are implementing their own state uh, standards um that don't jive with with the federal standards. None, you know, none of these none of these groups talk to one another and are all on the same page. Everybody wants to try to outdo one another, and it makes it very difficult to actually build a product that's compliant globally. Yeah, it's it's never been this difficult. Um, at the same time, too, while you're while you're trying to navigate through that, you've also got to do the the social side as well and make sure that your suppliers are meeting a minimum standard that one you as a brand feels good about two that is uh that is protecting the workforce that is uh that is actually producing your product how have you seen so i mean vulcan builds product all over the world you travel all, all over the world how do maybe if you could really quickly talk about the different countries where vulcan manufacturers and how their rules and laws and regulations compare to each other 
and and also what has been the response from um, as this program has matured from the the manufacturing partners that you have you know are they on board they cool with it you see them strengthening their programs as well is there resistance yeah um, some some countries have restrictions and have laws in place and some countries don't um, some countries really are trying to adapt and instill uh, sustainability and responsibility into uh, their labor laws and and some aren't um, the, the important thing is is that that Volcom does its due diligence no matter what whether there's there's standards or laws or or uh, or anything else in a, in a specific country or not so no we matter have, what and no matter where no matter what no matter where yeah exactly we have our standard and our standard in our opinion trumps all other standards yeah and and if somebody has a standard that's higher than ours then we'll look, we'll gladly accept it but it doesn't matter whether a country has a standard or not. Our standard is in place. And I think that uh, that regardless of, of the country that we're in, we're always going to do our best to align ourselves with partners that think the same way we do, that want uh, more for their for their workforce, want more for their uh, their supply chain because we have multiple supply chains within, say, a, a, a partner. They might have you know five to seven factories that work with them, and, and we, we vet all those out. But we want them to have the same feeling about their workforce as we do uh, for ours. So. so that's important. I mean, having that partner who has the same values because I think a lot of times you will hear people – um, uh, who are concerned with if they see a label that it says made in Sri Lanka, made in Bangladesh, made in Vietnam, and they kind of assume that, oh, that can't be good. Those workers, pro- they have to have been treated poorly. That's not always the case, though, right? No, it's not. And, and, and if for brands that are doing, uh, you know, taking a similar approach as we are, we're going in and, and ensuring that the factory meets those standards and that everybody is is has the uh, the ability to organize you know, and practice collective bargaining, union engagement, uh, have, like I said, safe working conditions, fair labor, um, non-bonded labor, all these different things. Um, as long as they're doing that, they're doing their due diligence. A government uh, law uh, is is very difficult to, to have any type of le- leverage or leeway with. There's nothing you can do with the government per se, uh, unless you're just a major factor in a country that that the government is involved with your business, which we are not. Um, but having having the uh, right policies and, and processes in place to and visibility to ensure that you're doing everything you possibly can um, uh, to to protect your supply chain and protect the the products and the pe- people that are making your products um, in those countries is is key. And it's about all you can really do unless you choose not to work in a specific country. And we've chose not to work in specific countries. Uh, but any country that we're producing product in right now, we can say um, that we, we feel very good about being in those countries. Yeah. And I mean, you, how much of your time is spent on the road traveling to uh to either other Vulcan partners in different parts of the country or the manufacturing partners all over the world? You know, it depends. I travel at, at certain times of the year. Uh, I've, you know, my, my travel scope has expanded um, because we've expanded some of our manufacturing opportunities. Uh, I'm anywhere from, you know, China to, to Mexico um, and, and all in between mm-hmm. India, Bangladesh, Vietnam, Thailand, Cambodia, Indonesia. Uh, it goes on and on and on. Um, we're constantly looking for for new locations. 
um, with the tariff scare that we've all been faced with out of China, um, with China and the U.S. policies and and uh, also the rising uh, inflation in China. Uh, manufacturers like us are, are, are looking at other opportunities outside of China in order to reduce our, our risk there. Um, but China's never going away. We'll always be in China. Yeah. And, uh, and so, so I'll always be visiting China. Uh, people often want to know about domestic manufacturing. Are there any uh, ever uh, any hope or opportunities for Volcom to do domestic manufacturing again? Volcom still does do some domestic manufacturing. When we obviously we do all of our you know all of our most of our printing here. Um, we also have some uh, some uh, boutique type collections that we'll produce here in the U.S. Sometimes, but. In a large scale apparel manufacturing, in my opinion, it's, it's not feasible here in the U.S. anymore. We we sold that that equipment off and that technology off years ago, and I mean, say years ago, I'm talking you know 25 years ago mm. or more. That that manufacturing from the apparel side has really kind of moved away. Um, when I started in this business, one of the things that Mark Machado made me do was go up to L.A. and go to my factory up in L.A. that was making our hats and wallets and backpacks and accessory items in general and learn how to sew those things. Yeah. And so I got, a, I got an education domestically before we started moving everything offshore. And uh, that was an education that, that most in this industry now will never get, unfortunately. They have to go overseas in order to try to get that. So I've been fortunate to, to, to see both worlds, but the efficiency of manufacturing overseas versus you know what was happening here back in those days is it's night and day, and we can't match that. Yeah. On top of that, too, it's just it'll come down to price, and the consumer, as much as the consumer wants to say, "I want American made," "I want this," they most of them don't want to pay for it. And once you once they see the cost increases, they they backtrack, and you know. They just it comes down to the almighty dollar. Yeah. There are brands out there that can require a premium price for a premium product, and that customer who's looking for that premium product will pay for it. The tactical world is like that, um, and there's some other other uh, areas of, of business that are like that too. But from the apparel side, it's pretty hard to justify you know a a thirty to fifty percent increase. Uh, on apparel when you're used to going to certain locations and you can buy a, you know, a pair of board shorts for 20 bucks, let alone buying a pair of board shorts at a surf shop for, you know, 75 bucks, yeah. 90 bucks. It's to, to see that increase on top of that would be, would be very difficult to yeah, swallow yeah. as a consumer. Yeah. Trust me. I know I play in that space. Yeah, I, we're, I both, know. we're both yeah. parents. We both, you know, clothe kids. We know. Hey, so <laughs> what, what we've, what, what then I think you're saying and what we can clearly see is, I mean, this is a global complex supply chain and I think it's a nice opportunity to transition into the idea that you said, you know, it's key. Visibility is key. Understanding who the players are, where everything is coming from, who's doing what, understanding that. And so with that said, I mean, Volcom just launched a really, really neat and cool initiative, um, the Farm to Yarn program, and it deals with all of that, visibility in the supply chain, treating people better, engaging with your suppliers, tracing things back all the way to the supply chain, um, all the way back to the, the very roots. But tell us about the Farm to Yarn program. What, uh, why is it so unique? Farm to Yarn is amazing. It really is. I mean, I am so proud to be a part of this program. I'm so proud on a personal level, but also as an employee of Volcom to be a part of this program. It, it's just, it's, it's unlike anything we've ever really done. Um, it has so many layers to it. The, the planning that has gone into this program uh, for upwards of almost two years 
really in discussions and then planning trips and you know uh, the be, making the partnerships uh, stand and, and so on has just been it's just it's been amazing to see it all come together. A program like this is is the first of its kind for Volcom. Like I said, it is a part a program that allows us to trace our product from the seed all the way to the finished garment um, and have traceability all along the way. Uh, we can we can view the transactions. We can uh, have we have feet on the ground through our partner, which is Cotton Connect in India. Uh, we can get real time visibility from them as to what where things are, what's happening, uh, price negotiating, uh, so on and so on. Um, associated with that pro- project or program are also uh, some ancillary programs. One is the is a farmer business school, which allows the uh, farmers to uh, gain uh, training in, in better business practices that ensures that they are making smart decisions, um, not only for their business, but also for their families. Yeah, to remind, a, remind them that they're not just farmers, they're business, business people. They're business people. And they're and they're human beings, yeah. and 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 unfortunately, in in this business, uh, farmers are taken advantage of pretty regularly, mm. and it's uh, it's to to see that and to see the impacts that we've been able to have on a program by our involvement like this has been been just so rewarding, um, to the point where they've increased their profit now from what it was previously to upwards of almost um, 300% of, of increase on their profit. And the profit, even at 300% increase, isn't what you know we would deem as being like, hey, this is a milestone. But for them, this is huge for them. They're able to buy more seed, plant more crops, gain more profit in the long run, reduce their use of pesticides uh, by using organic pesticides and creating their own pesticide uh, out of local materials. That's the second um, part of the training though too, right? It's exactly right. That's the second part of the training. And and they're able to uh, have higher profitability and, uh, and more longevity in their ability to grow organically. Because conventional cotton is is on a much bigger scale. When they grow conventional cotton, they make more money mm-hmm. um, and they can grow a lot more of it. And, and in a sense, it's cheaper for them to actually grow. Growing organically, as you know, is very difficult. It's smaller crops, smaller farms, smaller crop yields, smaller farms, and and it costs more to actually manage and maintain. Um, but these farmers that are involved in this, this program are dedicated and committed to this program. They're dedicated and committed to growing organically, and they see the benefits of that. They are reaping the benefits financially, and they're reaping the benefits socially. Yeah. You know, and that's that's a beautiful thing. They're, I mean, they even they will tell you our, our lives and our health have improved because of, of this type of program and, and organic farming. Yeah. And that's awesome. And there's a third, there's another component there as well, right, with the Women's Empowerment Program? The Women's Empowerment Program is, is a, I'm very passionate about. I, I, uh, my first interaction with these women there was, was amazing. They, just the, the, the colors and the faces and the smiles and the, the depth of looking into their eyes about them as people was just, I was so taken back by this that I immediately wanted to, I wanted to get involved and help them in any way we could. Yeah. Um, 
Caring, our parent company, did a great job in establishing this program initially and then yeah. bringing us into it. Christine Goulet was just, she did some great work with this and was able to then show us what else could be done and then pass the reins on to us to allow us to then take it and really take it to the next level. Um, the Women's Empowerment Program is is something that teaches these women uh, or gives the the opportunity for these women to learn excuse me let me let me rephrase yeah. that to to uh learn capacity building skills to to Im- Im- implement those skills into their daily lives and to make their lives better uh for themselves and for their families uh, there's there's things as 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 simple as uh washing your hands after using the restroom all the way up to feminine hygiene um, and and healthcare and banking tips and banking tips. They have yeah. their own banking system where they loan each other money and help each other out that way. But on top of that, they also see opportunities for the future. One of the things that we're talking about right now is helping them get a, 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 a the ability to have sewing machines and and sew as a secondary source of income. And then you know what that leads into is you know who knows where that's going to go into something else. But the but the women, which are also the farmers, they they pick the cotton. They they want to have a secondary source of income because they want opportunity to continue to grow. At the same time, computer education for their kids. They want to. They know that the the internet's out there and they know that computers are out there, but they don't really have them inside their village. So. Being able to provide something like that for them and, and have the kids be able to have ex- exposure to the outside world from their village, which then may lead to their educational opportunities in the future as they get older. And then who knows, those kids can end up going to the university and, and having a much better life. Yeah. So they understand where they are now and they're, they're happy. They're, they're happy and they're stoked to, 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 with our involvement and they're stoked that we want to help them get the things that they feel that they need and want in order to have... Their generation and the next generation and so on be that much better. And uh, that's, what's, that's what's really cool about this program. And it's so unique, too, because, I mean, when was the last time in your career working in the, um, in the apparel industry that you got to work with the farmers who grow the cotton for you? Never. Yeah. This exactly. is the first time that in my career, which is, you know, we're going on almost 30 years now, and, that... And- I've been able to do this. It's, 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 it's amazing. Yeah, and you and I traveled there together. I was lucky enough to go on that last trip with you. But maybe um, these are small batch farmers in rural areas out in India. Um, so it just really puts things in perspective, right? Because typically here in the office, you're working on this big international machine. And it's really cool to take a, to take a minute to reset and connect with these people in these small villages just working hard, growing cotton, putting it in big bags, and taking it to the way station. Yeah, I mean, if you if you when you when you get to see it firsthand and, and watch the whole process, it's pretty amazing that this still exists in 2019. Yeah, I mean, if you really think about it, you walk the farms, you saw how how the how the people live. I mean, they're they're very it's very rural. They live out in 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 a place in in central India that is beautiful agriculturally i mean just absolutely beautiful they have they're rich with life they're rich with land you know they may not be dollar rich but they're land rich and they're and they're happy yeah and and they the process of of how they plant the seed by hand you know everything's brought in and out by ox and cart um they the way just the way that women when they're picking the cotton how they look and they're the 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 bags that they they wear in order to put the cotton in 
it, it's just the whole thing is just a very beautiful process. Yeah, yeah. And they're singing when they're out there and they're talking to one another and their 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 families are involved and engaged and and their livestock, you know, it's it's all one and the same. It doesn't matter. They're you know, they also have intercrops that they, they grow. And that's part of the program for the Farmer Business School is teaching them about intercrops and what intercrops to grow so they can they can also have that as a, as a secondary source of income from a farming perspective. Um, you know, these, they, they build their own homes. These homes are built out of sticks and, and branches and, and then they're, they're mud huts are mud lined into mud huts. They dry their corn that they that they they harvest and they dry it up on the roofs of their houses and then they they pull it down and they use it as they need to or they or they sell it off at the at the open market as they as they need to. Um, we would never think of of, of manufacturing this way um, as a as a first world you know nation. We are going to look at automation and and machines and and as less people as possible, right? But in their eyes. They've been doing this this way for centuries, and it still works. And if anything, you're getting a better product out of it. Yeah. And you're getting the story about these people's lives. And I think that's what's just so unique about this program. It's a great program. It's a great—I mean, you're getting A-grade certified organic cotton that, you know— you guys have welcome got to walk from yeah that seed where it was tested it was it was tested for for GMOs and then it was traced all the way through and so it's a really unique program so I definitely I applaud you guys and for the listeners you can learn more about that at volcom.com forward slash farm to yarn there's some great images some great great videos and I know there is more storytelling to come for that program some more videos and and things so it's because it's not a program it's not just a one and done is something that you're in for a while, right? Absolutely. I mean, we 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 signed on for the long term. Um, we've we've made commitments to this program that will uh, continue on for for quite a while. Uh, I can't say exactly how long, you know, because anything can anything can happen. Yeah. But, but we're committed to this program uh, from the top down, and that's the beautiful thing about it. We've we've put it out there. We've uh, we've told the world that we're we're in this. And we're in it to win it for sure. Yeah. It's just such a beautiful program. There's so many layers to it. The stories are going to be coming out for the next few years, guaranteed. Well, hats off. It's a good one. And I was lucky enough uh, to go on that trip with you to India. And then we went to Bangladesh. And it was w- such a great experience. But I have to say, I've got to give you a nod. You are a traveling beast. I've traveled quite, you know, a decent amount. I guess relative, it's all relative. But you, your passport is uh, even just the the latest one is like like looks like an encyclopedia. And um, and I left you in Bangladesh, and then you carried on to go to Hong As Kong Vietnam. and Vietnam. Yeah, and Hong Kong. Yeah. So, well, tell me. I mean, so some of the countries that you travel. You told us a little bit about what you travel to in a typical year. But what countries have you not been to, and where would you like to go next? I'm kind of transitioning, I guess, into a little personal question but it was really cool watching you travel and just see your mindset and just for everybody else here to know i traveled with a uh, a big travel bag like most normal human beings and i'm about half the size of big tony and he traveled everything in a uh, carry-on bag so which <laughs> i didn't i thought he was joking when he said that was his travel thing but biggest guy littlest bag oh, right? serious, hilarious. <laughs> um I want to go everywhere. Yeah, you know, you've got to love to travel, man. You can really see it when you're on the road with you. Yeah, I, I enjoy traveling. I enjoy I enjoy seeing new environments and places and people, and and just I just enjoy it. Um, there's some places that I you know I could care less if I ever go to because you know, <laughs> it's just not on my radar. But but uh, I really do I really do enjoy culture, and I like being immersed in culture. 
I like eating local foods yeah. and I like drinking local, you know, um, uh, whatever that is that they're drinking. I, uh, I like to immerse myself in their culture wherever I can. So I don't necessarily feel like a, like a, a, a tourist or a traveler. I feel like I'm one of them. And, uh, and I've, I've been able to do that in most places that I've spent a lot of time in. Because yeah. uh, most of the places that I travel to, I'm not just one and done. I, I go, I'm, I'm there a couple times a year. Even on my personal level, when I go and travel for that, I'm, I'm going to the same places every year because I've established relationships and uh, that have led to, to really establishing you know, new family members in, in those relationships. Um, because I treat them as family and they treat me as family. So some of the places I really would like to go is the Middle East. I've gotten, I've really got a, uh, a yearning to go to the Middle East. Unfortunately, um, most of the Middle East we're not going to be able to, to go to uh, because of the security restrictions and, and uh, the concerns that are in those countries. But uh, I've had, a, I've had a, a, a passion for the Middle East for, for many, many years. Since I was a kid, my father spent a lot of time in the Middle East after, after he came back from the war and uh, spent a lot of time in Saudi Arabia and other mm-hmm. countries. Um, funny enough, working security. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, uh, I've always wanted to, to spend some time in those countries, and I think that uh, probably at, at some point I, I'm definitely going to be making a Morocco trip just because it's even though that's North Africa, but uh, you know the, the the Muslim world and that's there. It's a Muslim country, but there's also amazing surf there, and so that's that's probably where I'll. I'll head off to at some point in the near future. Well, I can imagine you, you, you put your mind to something, uh, you'll be there. So I'm sure you'll be there before you know it. Um, and I think that that's another thing, you know, when you're not, when you're not traveling for work, I know you, you are, you're camping, you're surfing and you train, you're a martial artist. I mean, you've got a lot of different things going on. You've got your security company running, scratching the surface, I think here of your, your story, but any of that, uh, what else are you doing in your spare time these days? There's not much spare time left yeah, to be right. honest with you. Um, I mean, I'm fortunate enough to be in an industry and have a career that, with a brand that really has become a lifestyle. It's not so much as a job or a career. Or there, my life isn't really separated, as, as weird as that may sound. Um, my, everything is one and the same. My, my job is, is me and I am my job, you yeah. know. Um, it goes with me everywhere. My whether I'm I'm surfing, or whether I'm training, or whatever, wherever I, whatever I'm doing, and whatever I'm doing, it's all one and the same. And uh, and and that, some people don't like; they wouldn't want that. They want separation. They want to be able to leave work at work, and you know, and have their their home life or whatever. But but what we do here is so different, you know, um, that it's not looked at as a job at least for me it's not looked at as a job it's not looked at as just you know as my career it's, it's who i am yeah. and so integrating all of my life my personal life into my work life becomes a lifestyle and this is all just a lifestyle and so uh so with all of that there's not much time to, to integrate much more <laughs> to that but uh but we do we, we do enjoy uh going on surf trips a lot we have our we have our van and we, we go off off the grid and camp a lot with that and and then uh yeah i've got a lot of my other projects that i'm involved with as well so. well and i think what you just said though is so important i think for listeners um i know our, our listeners my listeners usually appreciate they appreciate good career advice and i think you've given them a lot so far but what you just said was something that's really important is that you've blended 
you've had a hard time separating because you're so passionate though. I know about the company, the values that are here and what the company stands for. So that allows you to kind of seamlessly blend it all together. How important it has that been to align with a company like Volcom that has the same values in a space that you love. And then with that said, what advice do you have for people who are just starting out looking for to build a long career like you've had in the, in a field of their passion? You know, finding, finding an alignment like this is, I would say it's probably pretty difficult these days. Mm. Um, at the same time, if you want that type of alignment, you'll, you'll figure it out. You'll find it. Um, there are brands out there like ours that, that, that offer the same type of, of support and passion for those things that we need and want to do in our lives. Um, and, and they'll give it to you. You just got to sort it out. You got, you got to find it out yourself. Um, but I, I would say that for anybody that wants to get into this business and wants to take it, take it serious and make a career out of it, you, you're going to have to, you're going to have to dedicate yourself and, and be ready to allocate yourself at a level that will, that will take precedence over anything else that you've got going on. Um, you know, as I say, this is a lifestyle. There's been many times, you know, we've all been in this office until 12, 1, 2 o'clock in the morning doing what we need to do in order to, to get the job done. Uh, and, and I don't mean just, you know, every now and then that was, that was, had been the norm for a long time because we were passionate about pushing things across the line. It's what needed to be done. I've always had that, had a uh, do whatever it takes mentality. And that was one of the, uh, vocal mantras for a long time, whatever it takes, mm. you know, we've got to do it for the brand. If we yeah. protect the brand, the brand will protect us. So, um, so I, I say hard work, dedication, um, loyalty, uh, we don't see a lot of that these days in the industry because, you know, a lot of people are more concerned about how much money they're going to make or what their next title is going to be, or, you know, what the, what the next opportunity is going to be instead of really hunkering down and putting in the hard the, the hard yard and dedicating themselves to a program or a brand or, or, you know, a career path that will ensure longevity for them in the future. Um, so if you find the right brand, the brand's going to allow you to do those things. Yeah. Uh, but you've got to be you've got to you got to be dedicated to your craft, and you've got to put in the hard work because nothing's for free, and it's it's something that especially in this area, um, this is something that that you have to in some cases sell people on the importance of of what it is, and then once you sell them, you've got to deliver. And, and in order to deliver, you've got to be able to, you got to be willing to work hard and, um, you know, work hard in building relationships, work hard in, 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 uh, in telling those stories and work hard in, uh, delivering the ROI to the brand. So, and you were really good about doing that in the very early days with Volcom Verde and, and, you know, bring, really bringing the sustainability program to Volcom in the early 2000s. Um, and I think that's just resonated all the way through into what we've done for the past program and where we're going, you know, with new future. Yeah. Thanks, Big T. It's been awesome. And it's awesome to work um, so closely with you now and to watch you build this program. And I love how you're always saying, you know, to protect the stone. And I really, um, you know, traveling with you on that Farm Beyond program was really an opportunity too. And I want to give credit and really let people know that, man, you, like what you said, when you're there, you want to eat with them. You want to eat what they eat. You want to, you want to drink what they drink. You want to be where they're going to be. Because I think this is your personality and your protective uh, nature 
extends not just to the, to the from the stone, but all the way through the supply chain to everybody that's touching the product. And it's a really genuine thing that I really want to make sure people understand that it's like, it's a, it's a really genuine program that you've got. And I think um, I applaud you for the work that you're doing, your whole team and everything that Volcom's doing. So I wanted to try to highlight that today. And I think we've done that. Big T, anything else you want to close with while we uh, wrap this uh wrap up this package here and land uh bring this boat to shore what do you need need people to know about big tony or the program here well i well thanks for that for the kind words by the way um i just want to make one comment on that before we go into <laughs> about me but um the volcom family is strong it's still strong we had we've had the volcom family mantra in place since our founders first created this this brand and with with their guidance and and uh, passion for what they did with the brand initially all the way through to just where we are now the Volcom family is is still very very strong and in, and our supply chain are part of the Volcom family and I, and I think that's why I have that that passion is those are our people yeah and we don't own those factories per se but but we work with them day in and day out and they are our family and uh, so that's why I'm I'm very dedicated in making sure that that all aspects of the Volcom family are, are protected in some way. However, I can with my my with my means. But um, what I want people to know about about Big Tony, um, nice guy. He's a nice guy. I like long walks on the beach and puppies. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> um, I like puppies. But anyway, um, no, I think I think uh, for a long time people didn't really know what my my role was in the in the industry um they viewed me as being oh that's big tony he's the, the guy that handles everybody's security you know mm-hmm. he does security and he's the security guy and he's the guy on the tour and whatever but they didn't really realize that i was i was you know a production person at the time and and then you know hadn't been involved in supply chain and and, and have really deep roots in the manufacturing side of our industry and i've been in this industry for a long long time so uh how many years has it been Oh gosh, it's been a long time. Yeah, it's been a long time. Like I said, I'm, I think I'm getting close to being in the industry for th- almost thirty. Boom. Yeah, um, uh, that would include the tour as well. Yeah, but uh, but and now I, what's nice about it too is I've got I've got a second generation going on here now. So my my daughter's actually in this industry as well, and and that's that's really uh, it's really refreshing to have the ability to work with your work with your kid yeah. on a day to day basis, which is really nice too. So, um, but I think I think ultimately it just just that people understand what uh, what my roles are today and, and what I'm passionate about and and that I'm always willing to help others, um, whether it's a brand who needs help with the program or it's an individual who needs uh, help trying to figure out what they want to do. Um, we, we try to help out. I try to help out as much as possible, and, and I try to uh, have my team help out wherever we can. We, we, uh, we share a lot and give a lot back with our local uh, community college, Orange Coast uh, College. Um, Chris Amaral's course there, your course there now, Mr. My, Instructor. One of my mentors. Yeah. She's awesome. She's amazing. And, uh, you know, we uh, we try to give back as much as we can to them as well as other universities um, by helping uh, uh, help with their education of their fashion programs and whatnot. Um, but also, too, just giving back to the community wherever possible. And, uh, you know, whether it's our community here or whether it's a global community like we are, we are with Farm to Yarn in India, yeah. you know, being able to give back and, and give whatever we can and help others is, 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 I think, what I'd like other people to know about me. Awesome. 
Well, I can vouch for all that. I've been here working alongside you for a long time. For people that want to learn more um, on, at the Volcom website, if you go to volcom.com forward slash new future, you can kind of look to the responsible manufacturing page, learn about all of Volcom's certifications and achievements, uh, their Fair Labor Association, um, supply chain accreditation, so on and so forth. Everything is there. But um, follow along. Watch what these guys are doing. There's some really great things going on here at the brand. Um, and Big Tony, it's been an honor. I think we barely tapped into the iceberg that is your story and your career, but hopefully we got a bit of it across today. So thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule to, to be here with me. Oh, thanks for having me. And, and I really appreciate all, all the uh, the support, all the love, D. You've been, you've been an integral part of what I do, and, and I really do appreciate the friendship. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, brother. All righty. That's a wrap. Check out soon. And... Uh, Have a great day. Know your roots. Know your roots. To hear more stories like this or to learn more about our host, visit theunderswell.com.